waving the checkered flag, right? And we were coming in to the last lap as we were finishing up our little mini-series in the life of the Old Testament figure, Joseph. And the title of that little mini-series is Joseph's Road. But today, I need to let you know we're not quite done because this morning, we're going to take a victory lap. And um, we have another issue that we need to deal with in Joseph's life before we complete this study. And so I want to take a step back and let's get us in line and at speed with where we're going and what we're doing. Because in this series, we've learned that before you can really be successful on life's road, you have to remember what the biblical definition of success is. And so we've said this repeatedly in this little mini-series, and I want to say it again now, that success is finding and following God's will for your life. Success is finding and then following God's will for your life. And we've also learned that on life's road that you're going to encounter many frustrating situations that will try to prevent or can even help your success. And those are speed bumps and potholes and stop signs and detours. And we've talked about all of those things. But this morning... In this final lap, we're going to discuss two other interesting elements, one other interesting element of the road, and that's road rage, all right? So all of a sudden, it gets really intense, doesn't it? I don't know if anybody else deals with this, but sometimes I do, and I don't think I'm the only one in the room that does. Now, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think traffic just keeps getting worse and worse. I also think drivers keep getting worse and worse. According to the American Highway Alliance, the number of bottlenecks, traffic bottlenecks, has increased 40% in the last 10 years. I think it's safe to say, somebody say amen, it's crazy out there, right? And and every time I go out to drive, and I'm not saying anything about Corsicana, I may be one of them, but I think I'm surrounded by a bunch of crazy people behind the wheel. Now, sometimes I feel like the guy who was driving back from work during rush hour, the cell phone rings, it's his wife, and she says this to him, Honey, I'm calling to warn you, I just heard on the news there's some idiot driving the wrong way on your highway. And he said, tell me about it. I'll tell you what, there's not just one. There's hundreds of them going the wrong way. Now think about that for a moment. So so road, road rage, right? Maniacs behind the wheel, it's defined as the societal condition where motorists temporarily lose their minds, they lose their temper in a reaction to traffic disturbance. And road rage can transform normal people into maniacs when they get behind the wheel. So I heard a funny story I want to share. It's a story about a nice old lady who suffered from road rage. She had been looking for a parking place in her big, beautiful Cadillac in this crowded mall parking lot. And across the way, she sees a car pulling out and leaving. It's her chance, and she drives up and patiently gets in position, and she waits for the parking place to open. And just before she pulled in, a young girl in her Volkswagen bug zips in and takes the spot. The young girl gets out, smacking her gum. She bebops out of the vehicle, and the old woman rolls down her window and says, Hey, that was my parking place. And the, and the young girl says, face it, lady, we're younger and we're faster. Well, the young girl walked away, and then she heard this crash. 
And then she turned around and saw the car the old lady was driving, the big, beautiful, yellow Cadillac, was bashing her little red Volkswagen bug, and she was ramming it, backing up and ramming it again, and backing up and ramming it again. And she says, what are you doing? And the old lady rolled down her window and says, face it, we're older and we've got more insurance. Right? So road rage. That's our topic this morning. I hope we can get into it together. Now, the reason I, I want to go back to this is because you may have noticed last Sunday, we kind of skipped over some things. And today we get to go back and recognize that Joseph could easily have been the poster child for road rage. Because his road was filled with so many frustrating things. He sold off into slavery by his own brothers. Um, He is accused falsely by Potiphar's wife, and we pick up the story today where Joseph was interpreting dreams. Actually, he, he he's just been brought out of the jail to interpret a couple of dreams from none other than Pharaoh himself. He interprets those dreams and tells Pharaoh that Egypt would have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And then Joseph suggested Pharaoh stockpile surplus food during the seven years of plenty so that they would have food stored up when the the famine came. And so that's where we are this morning. Grab your Bibles with me and let's stand together as we read Genesis chapter 41 beginning in verse 37. This is a very, very interesting story and it's part of the story that we just can't miss. Genesis 41, 37 through 41. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh, Joseph's plan, and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Therefore, he says in verse 40, you shall be in charge of my palace. And all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. We're going to keep reading, but let me say this. How amazing is that, right? Joseph goes from being in the dungeon to the next day he's put in charge of the greatest nation at that time on planet Earth. Well, the story doesn't stop there. We're going to keep reading because the famine comes, the Egyptians have food, but all over Canaan people are starving to death. So guess who comes to get a little food? Ten of Joseph's brothers travel to Egypt to try to get something to eat, and now we pick it up over in Genesis 42, Verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Let's let's stop there for now. Today, church family, this message is so pertinent in today's times. 
And I think it's a message that our people here need to hear. I'm excited to deliver the message. I'm excited to stand before God's Word with it today. May God speak to every single one of us and all of us said together, Amen. Be seated. Be seated. So we have ourselves a very interesting situation. And when I read between the lines, I think you may feel the way I do. It feels to me right out of the gate like Joseph might want to get a little revenge. And it makes sense to me after all they've done to him. And now look where he stands. He has the means. He has the motive. He has the opportunity. Joseph is being tempted with road range. Let's translate today. He's being tempted with revenge. You see, that's what this sermon is really about. I'm just using the word road rage, right, because it goes along with the Joseph's Road theme. But we're really talking about revenge. And what I want to do today is pick out some lessons for us that I believe the Lord wants us to hear. And lesson number one is this. A desire for revenge is a natural human response. If you've ever wanted revenge against another human being, guess what? You're normal. Satan tempts all of us that way. How many times do you think Joseph relived that day when his brothers sold him off? How many times do you think he relived when they threw him into that pit when he was sold off into slavery? I'll bet it happened all the time. And now he finds himself on the other side of the story. I don't know if you're a country and music person, but it reminds me a little bit of that of that older song now by Toby Keith titled, How Do You Like Me Now? Do you know that song? Well, I've kind of rewritten the lyrics a little bit for us because here's the way I think Joseph would have sung it. How do you like me now, now that I'm all in style? Do you still think I'm crazy? Well, meet my crocodile. I could make you love me, but what do you have to say? Now get down on your knees and obey me today. Joseph was tempted to get even. And at first, he speaks harshly. And accuses them of being spies, I think his response is natural. I heard a story about a woman who showed us a natural response of revenge. She was mad because her husband left her for another woman. And she was walking along this beach and she found this magic lamp and she rubbed it. The genie comes out just like you'd expect. Since you have freed me, I'll grant you three wishes. But he said this, I must warn you that whatever you ask, your ex-husband gets twice as much. The woman said, okay, all right, well, I want five million dollars. Poof, she had five million dollars. She says, now did my husband just get ten million? The genie says, that's right. Well, she said, okay, my second wish, I want a five-carat diamond. Poof, a five-carat diamond appeared on her hand. Your ex-husband, the genie said, just got a ten-carat diamond. Well, the woman was frustrated. It wasn't working out for her, and so she thought and thought, and she came up with a plan, the perfect idea. She said, you know what I want for my final wish? I want you to scare me half to death. (laughs) So it's just our nature, right? We want those who have hurt us to suffer more than we have. So a desire for revenge is a natural human response. There's some of you that are just now getting the joke and welcome, welcome on board. All right. Now now let's get back to the story of Joseph because Joseph continued to act suspicious. 
His natural human response of revenge continues to stir. He decides to play a little trick on his brothers, and he leaves their bags, or he leaves in their bags, right? They're full of grain. He leaves a little surprise. So let's pick it up now in Genesis 44, verses 1 through 5. Let's keep reading a silver cup in the sack. Genesis 44, 1 through 5. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, he said, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. Verse number 3. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. So what has Joseph done? He set them up. He sets them up. The soldiers go out, they find the cup, and they march them back in. Pick it up now in verse 14 of chapter 44, and let's see what happens. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this that you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can you say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. So what has Joseph done? He who was the favored son is gone... And now he is going after the new favored son, Benjamin, right? The youngest brother. And I think that little trick leads us to the second lesson I want to talk about today. It's this, that personal revenge corrupts God's plan of justice. When we seek to do it ourselves, it gets outside of God's plan. You see, Joseph was trying to take matters into his own hands. He wanted to prove his brother's guilt. Have you ever heard the expression about revenge being sweet? We have that saying in our culture, our society. But revenge isn't sweet, it really stinks. It's hurtful. And that idea of sweet revenge, it probably came from Homer when he said revenge is sweeter far than flowing honey. But anyone who has ever gotten revenge realizes it has a bitter aftertaste. The Christian writer John Milton wrote revenge, at first though sweet, bitter before long, back on itself recoils. In fact, revenge is not only bitter, it's as deadly as poison. Sir Francis Bacon wrote this, a man that takes revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would have healed. And folks, here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, the most important word of all. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So we need to hear this truth today. That God is the one who will eventually sort out the business of rewards and punishment. 
When we try to be the judge and jury in regard to unpleasant treatment we've received, we usurp God's plan. In other words, personal revenge corrupts God's design. In other words, let God be in charge. Personal revenge corrupts God's plan of justice. So let's remember that Joseph had threatened to keep Benjamin behind. But when Judah, one of the other brothers, heard this, he knew it would kill his dad. Remember that Judah was the very brother who suggested to sell Joseph as a slave. But now he proves that he's a changed man. And I want us together to hear what he said because it's really one of the most powerful speeches in the entire Bible. So now let's go back to Genesis 44 verse 33. We're going to read quite a bit of text here because I want us to hear all of this. Genesis 44 verse 33. Judah's words. Now then please your servant, he says. Remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. And then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence, he said. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. In other words, they had nothing to say because they knew now they were in a real mess. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there there will be um, plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Fast forward now over to chapter 45, verse 12. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt, about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, and he wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. Amazing, right? And this brings us this morning to the final lesson, a big lesson, that when you accept God's grace, it's then that you're going to be graceful to others. And you see, it's here, right, that we can say this is a good story. Because instead of seeking revenge against his brothers, Joseph chooses to show them kindness He didn't do what came naturally. He did what only comes supernaturally. He chose to forgive somebody who had hurt him deeply. You see, when he heard Judah's changed heart, he realized all that God had done in his brothers and in him. And that brings it to all of us. Has there been somebody who's hurt you? Has there been someone who did terrible things you believe to you? Have you been mistreated and wronged? And believe me, I know what your natural response is. It's to get even. But let's hear this today. If Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins, 
then we have a new nature. And because of that new nature, friend, we should forgive. It's exactly what Christ taught us in the model prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let me give you the best definition of grace I know. Because that's what we're talking about. It's giving God's grace, the same grace given to us. Grace, here's the definition. Grace is God giving us what we need, not what we deserve. You see, we're all sinners by nature. And by choice, we deserve death and hell. But God in His grace gives us His mercy. He gives us His forgiveness. We need it desperately, but we do not deserve it. And because of that, We need to pass on that same forgiveness to others. They might not deserve that forgiveness. I get it. But we should give because God gave it to to us first. So that brings us to the end of this. And I truly believe that there are those of in this room that may need to experience forgiveness in one of three ways. And let me roll these out for us. First, there are some here who need God's forgiveness this morning. You need to receive what He so deeply wants to give you. I read recently about a Christian attorney who got involved in a group Bible study with some other men, and God began to move in their lives. And and after studying Scripture on grace, he decided to forgive the debts of all the clients who had owed him money for more than six months. He sent out 17 letters by certified mail telling his clients their debts were forgiven. But to his surprise, 16 of the 17 letters came back unsigned and undelivered. 16 of the 17 were afraid the attorney was suing them, so they refused to open the letters. How sad, folks, but just as sad is the truth that God offered forgiveness to everyone in this room. And some people choose to simply not even open the letter and receive it. So if you're here and you need God's forgiveness, He is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness if we'll just confess our sins to Him. There's a second kind of person in this room. There's some here who need to forgive somebody else. That needs to happen. Someone's treated you badly like Joseph's brothers treated him. Today, you need to forgive them. I love this ancient legend about two friends who were walking across a desert wilderness. And they began to argue, and one man slapped the other. The man that was slapped, he didn't strike back. He knelt down and wrote in the sand, Today my friend hurt me. A couple of days later, they were in the mountains, and one friend slipped and was hanging on the ledge. The man who had slapped reached down and pulled him to safety, and the rescued friend took a chisel, and he chipped words into that rock face. He said, today my friend rescued me, and the other friend was puzzled. Two days ago, he said, when I slapped you, you wrote about it in the sand. But today when I rescued you, you wrote about it in the rock. Why is that? And the grateful friend said this. The secret to joy in life is this. Write all your insults in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase them. But write all your praises in stone so that they will remain for the rest of your life. Today let the wind wipe away the wrongdoing and forgive someone else and move forward. 
Third, some here today need to ask someone to forgive you. And I just lovingly say, don't try to justify what you've done. Don't put it off. Just go to the other person and say the seven words that can always transform a broken relationship. Here they are. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I'm really thankful for Joseph. Aren't you? I'm thankful for his life. He could have been that driver barreling down life's road filled with rage. But instead on his road, he chose to offer forgiveness. And I think he teaches me and you and us in this final victory.